Hi everyone, and welcome to the 195th episode of Kingdom Hearts Union. I'm your host Brandon, and I'm here with Churro! Hey guys. How's it going? Ah, I'm getting tired by the day. <laughs> <laughs> As always. And it's getting hot too. So. Oh, that's the worst, yeah. Same here. Yeah, it's it's actually getting actually hot recently. Which, yeah, yeah but not, not we a all fan. know summer's coming. Yeah, it's SoCal summer. There's no spring in SoCal. It's all it's just spring. And I mean, it's just summer and winter. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, here here we have four seasons, but they're just like harsh. It's like extreme hot plus humidity or very cold and but it doesn't it doesn't usually snow all that much uh in southern japan it does sometimes but it's usually just uh miserably cold and then like there's a couple of weeks in the middle where it's like kind of okay and then it's instantly back to it's really hot or it's really cold one or the other right so good old yeah, Japan weather. We're 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 getting to uh the next extreme, unfortunately. Yeah, I've yeah, seen I've seen those in Persona Five, so fine. Yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> Yeah, Persona Five very accurate in that regard. Yeah, actually like uh in Persona, that's that's one of the things that um as I was uh playing Persona Five, that was like, you know, less than a year of me being in Japan for, for the first time that I was playing it. And like, there's a lot of stuff that they mention in there that I'm like, suddenly, you know, I'll see it in persona and then I'll go outside and then I'll notice it in real life. I'm like, Oh my God, it's too real. Like, uh, one of those was the fact that, Oh, there's no holidays in June. Like that was one of the banters that come up. Uh, I, I think maybe from one of the teachers in persona five, and then I was like, huh, I didn't notice that before. But then I, you know, checked my schedule. I'm like, oh, wait, there are no holidays in June. So, yeah, uh, no holidays in June. And also June is part of the rainy season. So it's just like one of those times a year that, you know, a lot of people dread just because of how miserable it can be. And uh, I can tell you, yes, it is <laughs> yeah. very much so. So yeah, we're 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 getting to that part of the year, but uh we're going to talk about some things today that are hap- uh, slightly happier for this time of year cuz uh you know, despite all the craziness with the coronavirus, the game industry to some extent uh, is uh you know, trying to persevere and make announcements. So we'll talk about stuff relating to uh some of those announcements and how they are going to relate to uh, Square Enix and Kingdom Hearts and all that uh, once we get into the uh, uh, new segment. So anyway, for you new for you new folks, Kingdom Hearts Union is part of a podcast series called Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union and is presented by the Gaming Union Network. We release every Tuesday, rotating each week with Final Fantasy Union, and we come out on the iTunes Store, Spotify, KingdomHeartsUnion.com, and... Kingdom Hearts Union's Twitter, which is at KHUnion. We have a two-segment show today. Our first segment is the news segment, and our last segment is the question segment. In the way of announcements, as always, if you guys like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash FFKHUnion. 
And our exec, uh, Patreon executive producers for this episode are as follows. We have Nahika Blawi, Alex and Rachel Troutman, who are at Akira Namjin, Guide Seeker, Billy Jackson, who's at underscore Billy Jackson, Chris Morales, Miles Ribbons, Michael Graham, David Calro, Barry Norchin, who's at Nortron Zero, Chris Pope, who's at Dr. Pope 181, Thorn Bullen, who's at Masker 23, and uh, Churro, if you could take these last ones. We have Yannick Nod, who's at, at Yannick Nod, Toy Patrick, Freya Stella, Freya's Bayali, Flipser Nuss, Lewis James, Tom Hughes, who's at underscore Tom, oh yeah, I mean, who's at Tom underscore Hughes 22, Zach Duranto, Yam Potato S Commission Point, Rachel Casterton at Uber Noon Ray, Zelda Clone at Apes Type Novels, Dan Matthews at Doomster 73, and Joseph Robertson, who's at Pokemon Trainer J. And be a part of the show. Send us your questions to khuquestions at gmail.com. And as uh, a reminder, Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind spoilers are fair game. So if you haven't played it, uh, just so you know, we may at some point have spoilers, but we may also not have it. So just fair warning that uh, on our show, we can spoil Remind if we need to. All right. So moving on to the news. Churl. It is with a What's heavy up? heart that I start this new this news segment with anti news. Well, what? I mean, technically, technically, we are in anti news already. Yes, this is anti news. For those who know who don't know what anti news is, it's news, but it's the announcement that there will be no news. <laughs> it's anti news. So, unfortunately. Uh, due to complications of COVID-19 and scheduling and all the stuff that that entails, uh, according to on Twitter, there's a guy, uh, Takashi Mochizuki. He uh, apparently attended one of the, uh, I think he's like a Bloomberg correspondent. Uh, he said that Square Enix said it won't hold an online event to unveil this fiscal year's new releases around E3's timing because making assets ready for such a show has become difficult due to COVID-19. Instead, it will announce new titles on in, on individual basis. So, and wow. uh, yeah, he's a tech reporter for Bloomberg. So, the way I take this, Churro, is that not only will Square Enix not have a, you know, for lack of a better term, a Square Enix Direct you know, a la Nintendo Direct. Not only will they not have that, but they probably won't appear at pretty much any event. Maybe. We don't know Probably that. for the next, like, few months. Yeah. If anything, I mean, the whole Summer Games Fest goes for until August. Yeah. I, I mean, know, it, then... he, did, he didn't say, he didn't say that they wouldn't be at anything. It's just that it, the way he makes it sound makes it seem like they're really just not quite prepared for uh announcing big stuff right the second so that's what gives me the vibes that maybe they just won't have anything it's still possible because you know sony still has to unveil the playstation 5 and i wouldn't be surprised if for that event if square enix has been working you know I don't know, a lot of times the stuff that Square Enix, you know, would show at that sort of an event has been in production for a long time, way before, 
you know, all this COVID-19 stuff would have started, you know, in the case of like, uh, you know, let's think back to uh, E3 uh, 2015 with uh, the 7 Remake trailer. That trailer was definitely in production way in advance of, you know, E3 of that year. So uh, at least, uh, you know, they they would have had started in the prior year. Now, that's not to say that even if you start something in the prior year, that it wouldn't still be, you know, affected in terms of when you can actually show it uh, due to COVID-19. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just trying to keep up hope, Churro. That's all. But it's that's all I, we got. I, I mean, I mean, it, that's all we can rely on right now. Yeah. But I still feel like, Churro, like hope or no hope uh i think it's sa- it's safest if we uh lower our expectations for the time being uh for square enix announcements just cuz i mean what what can we expect at this point there's really nothing cuz you know clearly uh covid-19 is having an effect on a lot of people and a lot of companies so yeah, it's just uh too bad that that is the case but uh, I mean, it's not like it's not entirely anti-news because they they did mention the fact that they will announce things eventually. Like if you uh you know take the last part of what he says is uh instead it will announce new titles on an individual basis. So, I mean, it doesn't entirely preclude the possibility that there will still be announcements relating to Square Enix projects in the short term. Like, I personally would not be surprised if uh, Marvel's Avengers had something, because that's, you know, that's pretty close to release, right, Cheryl? It's like September, something like that? September, yep. Okay, well, that's a Square Enix property, even though it's not really related to us on the podcast, but, you know, that's a Square Enix property that, you know, is coming out soon that I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, that had something in the short term. Uh, But if we're wondering about, like, you know, the typical things that we see, like, you know, Churro, it's been kind of a tradition. You know, if you think about it, like, every single new PlayStation announcement since the PlayStation 2, you know, at every single event, there was some kind of Square Enix tech demo. You know, for the PlayStation 2, they had that... uh the Final Fantasy VIII tech demo where they had the little dancing scene for PlayStation 3. You know, the ye- the year before the release, they had the seven uh, Final Fantasy VII opening tech demo. And then the year after that, they had the first trailer for Final Fantasy XIII. A- and then, you know, that's where uh, all the nonsense kicked off. You know, Versus Thirteen was announced and, uh, you know, all of that. So... And then, you know, for the PlayStation 4, at the uh, first announcement, you know, they just re-showed uh, Agony's Philosophy. But at the proper E3 event, that's when uh, we finally got our first taste of uh, Final Fantasy 15, now rebranded, and uh, Kingdom Hearts 3. That's when they announced Kingdom Hearts 3. So, like, it's been kind of a tradition that around this time, you know, we would get a nice taste of what the next generation would hold for Square Enix, but I don't know, Churro, like, the way things are sounding, it's, uh, a little bit, uh, you know, seems a little dicey, like, we're not exactly gonna get what we usually get, like, 
I mean, this whole, I mean, ever since the cancellation of E3 and all that, yeah. you know, it's been, it, it's, yeah, it's going to change the shape of it probably for, you know, I don't want to say forever, but like maybe for at least the next five, ten years. Yeah. I mean, it, at least if you think about it, like I, I kind of get the feeling, I don't know if you get this uh, feeling, Churro, but like I've been kind of thinking like. It seems like this whole Summer Games Fest thing, it was kind of like a slapdash thing that was thrown together kind of recently, and it's mostly based off of how many publishers can Jeff Keighley convince to show stuff at his event, whereas, you know, a lot of people, or a lot of studios obviously were you know, probably hoping to get stuff at E3, but maybe when E3 canceled, I kind of feel like a lot of companies kind of breathe a sigh of relief and like, okay, let's take this time off and not do stuff at this E3, you know, if they weren't exactly ready. Give because, some extra time to like work on stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, take some time off where, and then Jeff Keeley comes around and is like, hey, 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 uh, wait, 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 before you go. You know, just in case you guys want to show stuff, like I, I can, I can hype stuff up for you. Like I'll do it. I can do it from home. And then I'm get, you know, at least seems like there's a lot of studios where it's like, yeah, they're totally down for that. And then there's other studios where it's like, no, forget that. We're taking time off, or we can't, we can't get that out in time. No. You know, our our games are really uh, things we need to protect the privacy of, so it's hard for us to uh, develop stuff, you know, work from home. And I know that's definitely the case for uh, quite a few Japanese studios. I, I think I've mentioned before uh, uh, Sakurai from uh, from Smash Brothers. He, he mentioned that specifically. Like, it's really hard for his team to do wor- work from home at all because everything they do is so secretive. Yep. And, so, you know, nowadays with leaks, you know, with, yep. you know, Square Enix being a victim of like two of them, you know, then you got, mm-hmm. you know, Naughty Dog with their leaks and Nintendo, Nintendo. So it's like, you know, with all that going around everywhere, it's like, you know, now they have to be extremely careful what they do at home. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's really unfortunate, like. Trust me, I'm the last person to want this sort of thing to happen, but I think, you know, we have to be kind of realistic about uh, what this is. And at least to me, it, yeah, like like I was saying before, it kind of feels like, you know, Jeff Keighley, he's trying his best, trying to get as many studios on board with this whole Summer Game Fest thing, but it seems like some of them kind of took the initial cancellation of E3 as an opportunity to not prepare stuff. And uh, either that or that and then the whole culmination of all this COVID-19 stuff, you know, has just made it, you know, very difficult for a lot of studios. So, you know, time will tell. But I'm just going to say I would not hold out hope for the stuff we are used to, you know, seeing the future of what Square Enix has in mind, you know. I mean, as they said, you know, game by game basis that's what they're going to be uh you know focusing on um churro do you think there's any hope at all like if if you think there was any project that has a chance of showing up 
you know, let's say hypothetically at a Sony event, do you, what do you think could possibly have a chance of showing up there, uh, you know, being a Square Enix property? Probably, um, besides Avengers. Yeah, besides, I guess, yeah, besides Avengers, I think that's kind of a given. I mean, Nomura kept stating that he had a Kingdom Hearts title that would be be, you know, known about soon. But thing is, with Nomura, we don't know how long soon is. Soon, yeah. I mean, a couple, a year or two. It could be still. anything, really. So you know, we have the next Kingdom Hearts iteration, whatever that is. Yeah. And then you have, you know, or if he's already, you know, maybe some news on the next Final Fantasy VII installment. Yeah, it sound. I mean, uh, in the uh, Ultimania that just came out, like they made it seem like, oh yeah, we just started planning the next seven remake episode, and then everybody's hype balloons deflated. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah, but like I, because I, I, I think now it's gonna take turns. Like, unless Square Enix decides to like do another remaster or something like that, yeah, maybe Final Fantasy Nine remaster. Yeah. Or Tactics Remaster, please. Give me a Tactics Remaster. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the thing is like this E3 would have been the time where we get to see a lot of what Square Enix has up its sleeve. But I, I think we might have mentioned it last uh, episode. But Churro, at, th- at this moment, we don't really know much about what Square, like we don't have many hard confirmed Square Enix games. That are coming out in the future, like yeah, other well, than other than Marvel, like pretty I much mean, everything else is out. Even like like the Tomb Raider series, all those are games are out. Even that we don't out, know. And then they just released Trials of Mana. Yep, seven remakes done. You know, I don't you. I mean, this is the first time I haven't seen really much like hype from Square Enix channels, like yeah. trying to promote stuff. Like everything, like you said, everything's out. Yeah, Besides which, Avengers. to be fair, it makes complete sense because, you know, to be fair, like, the target platform for a lot of those things hasn't even officially been shown yet. <laughs> you know, the like, we know we know the what the Xbox Series X look, looks like, and we, we but we don't even have a release date for that yet. We don't have a we don't even know what the PS5 looks like yet. We don't know when it's releasing. We just have a vague understanding that, you know, end of this year, that's probably when it'll happen. Uh, but, you know, with all this COVID-19 stuff, who who actually knows if the consoles even release on time or, like, if there'll be, like, severe shortages. Like, we don't well, even so know. so far, they've stated that uh, they're still on schedule, but they'll be uh, manufacturing less because apparently with from the PS... There's not even, like, a COVID thing because they yeah. said that they... It's, they had too much PS4s, like, when they oh, was released. okay. So they want to shorten it to kind of, like, create that demand, kind of like how the Switch did. Ah, uh, yeah. Because, like, like, once the Switch sold out, like, the demand was for it was huge. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about you, Cherub, but at least for me, like, I don't feel like a big rush to want to buy a PS5. <laughs> Or course, a Series X. There's, there's never really a rush for consoles until you know what's releasing with it. Like with exactly uh, the Switch, you have Zelda Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey. Uh, Odyssey. Yeah. You know, two very big, you know, first party games. And it's like, it's like, I think going back from like the PS3 days, like PS3 and PS2, 
like from my it's been a long time but like from my recall there wasn't really that much big hype with releases like yeah like and and when I remember buying the PS3 when it first came out you know I spent seven hundred dollars on that fat thing yep and um I didn't really have much games to play on because all the good games came out later. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, you got to be, you know, realistic. This, these things, they take time for good games to come out. So, like, it, it totally makes sense. Like, yeah, I, I, for me personally, I do not see myself buying, uh, you know, a PS5 or an Xbox right away. That being said, if I had to buy one of them right away, I actually feel like, and I know a lot of people were crapping on it at its announcement, but I kind of feel like the Xbox Series X is a more compelling console at launch, and I'll tell you why. One, it's got Halo Infinite, and yeah, I know it'll release on you know prior platforms as well, but I think as a product, it's a much more complete and a much more uh valuable product right out of the gate because the thing is with Microsoft is they're very strong on service and very strong on backwards compatibility and they make their backwards compatibility like paramount and a very like first class feature on their platform so playing older games playing upcoming games like Cyberpunk they're going to look best on series x you know uh you know assuming that it you know not 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 taking into account you know ps5 but the the fact that they've got smart delivery you know you buy it uh, you know even if you have an older console and you buy it uh you know you can get it immediately the xbox series x version like there's so many great features right out of the gate that i think you know, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the difficulties of early generation consoles or early in the, in their generation, how they don't have any games. Xbox, since it has all this backwards compatibility focus, it's going to have a ton of games out of the gate. And I know PlayStation 5 has it too. They have PS4 backwards compatibility, but nothing compares to what Microsoft does in terms of backwards compatibility. Like, their backwards compatibility is world-class, and not only that, they have Game Pass. And Game Pass has a ton of great games that you can play right away. They got Yakuza 0, they have Kingdom Hearts 3, Final Fantasy XV Royal Edition with all the DLC, everything. Uh, They've got, uh, whatchamacallit, all the Halo games. They've got all the Forza games, like... You know, ten. You get an Xbox Series X. You plop down ten bucks, and you have ten bucks a month, and you have an instant game library of hundreds of world class. And games. the nice thing is, is that is the games are not streamable. Like it's basically yeah, you download you it download to the console it. itself. Exactly. You download the con- You download the game to your console. And it runs, it runs there. And if it's a game from an older platform, it'll be upresed. It'll be upresed. It'll run better. It'll look better. You know, if the frame rate was left unlocked, then like, oh boy, you're in for a treat because like the Xbox Series X is going to use that power to its advantage. It took Sony a long time to enable uh, boost mode on PS4 Pro because they couldn't figure out how to do it. Microsoft has had that stuff from the get-go. Like, 
when you back you when you run something backwards compatibility, it's gonna look better and it's gonna run better. So, you know, at least for me, if I if I didn't already have an Xbox One X, I would probably get an Xbox Series X at launch. Even though I know in in the long term, I definitely want a PS5. Like my my gut feeling is the way I see the consoles is the value proposition for PS5 is that's where I want to play new games. But the place where I want to play games more long term is probably going to be Xbox because not 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 that I particularly like Xbox more than a PlayStation, I just think Microsoft has better services. I don't particularly care about hardware or whatever. I just feel like the platform is a lot better maintained, has a much better service. I like Game Pass. It's giving me access to a lot of really great games without having to, you know, break the bank. So, you know, I, I really like and support that service. It It is so good. It gives, it gives you so much great access. You can play Nier Automata. Like, that's on there, too. Uh, and I think they're adding Final Fantasy games. I, I think they mentioned they're adding Final Fantasy IX on Game Pass. Yeah, like, yeah they've been adding all the other um, Final Fantasy games on there. So, like, usually when it comes to Microsoft and all this service stuff, it's usually very, like, empty when it comes to the games I like. But, like, all my crazy Japanese games that I love, Yakuza, Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy, they're all there. They're all coming, so... You know, as a Kingdom Hearts fan, as a fan of Japanese games, like I can totally like tell you guys, like it's really good on the Xbox if you if you want, like if you're really itching for uh, a next gen console this year. Personally, I would say Xbox Series X, not because of next gen, but just because it's such a great ecosystem. It's just so good for me personally, though. I because I have an Xbox Series X, I don't plan on getting. Uh, a next gen Xbox for a while. I think for me personally, I'll probably wait until whatever the mid generation upgrade version is. Kind of like uh, how Xbox Series X is now. Whatever that, or whatever. Uh, so, kind of like what Xbox One X, <laughs> these names are so confusing. So, Xbox One X, how that's like the pro version of the console, I would probably get that version of the next Xbox. I'll probably wait for that since, you know, I I just got an Xbox, but I can definitely say from experience, really love the Xbox One X, such a great console, highly recommend the ecosystem that Microsoft has. Um, But uh, yeah, so, so yeah, that was a lot of talk about a lot of next gen stuff. So let's move on to another next gen topic that will potentially have big ramifications for not just uh Kingdom Hearts but also Final Fantasy, Square Enix and the gaming community uh, gaming uh, development as a whole. Uh so as you guys know, uh Kingdom Hearts 3 and also Final Fantasy 7 remake were both developed on the Unreal Engine 4 and uh actually just this past week, uh Epic Games went on live with uh, with Jeff Keighley for Summer Games Fest, announcing one of the biggest announcements of this whole Summer Games Fest, which was the announcement of Unreal Engine 5! Wow! And it was running on PlayStation 5! Wow! Nice. It looked good, right? It did. 
I was majorly impressed. Right? It's like it looked really good. It seemed like it run. It was running really well. I mean, it's one of the f- first things that we know for sure was running on a PlayStation Five. At uh, I think it was at Game Awards. There was that one game that like was confirmed that it would be on PlayStation Five, but that game wasn't actually running on a PS Five. It was running on a PC. But this is the first thing that we know for sure was actually running on a PS5. Like they straight up said, we plug the console into a disc recorder and that's, this is direct raw footage off of a PS5. I'm assuming a PS5 dev kit. So like that's pretty, pretty crazy. So uh, yeah, so uh, Unreal Engine 5 been announced. It has two really big features. Uh, one of them called Nanite and the other one called Lumen. Uh, so the nanite feature is basically the ability. So we're going to get a little bit technical, but I'll, I'll break it down more layman terms after I get through the basic explanations. So nanite is a virtualized geometry system, which basically allows, uh, the, uh, unreal engine to render very, very, very high resolution, very detailed, uh, 3d models. Uh, without breaking a sweat and because basically what it's doing is it is taking these really dense 3d models and dynamically simplifying them where you can't really see them so but where you can see them on screen they're insanely detailed and it is optimizing these on not a per polygon basis but a per vertex basis so you guys may have an idea of what a polygon is. A polygon is just a flat face of a piece of, you know, a 3D model. A polygon is made up of several vertices. Now, when we make 3D models, we we usually make them with quads, so basically squares, so there'll be four vertices. Uh but when a game engine receives the models, they usually uh, use triangles. So each polygon, each triangle is going to have three vertices. So Nanite is actually moving and pinching and pulling based off of the vertices. It's crazy. They are crunching so much data, and that just goes to show you how powerful these consoles are that they can do this. So, you know, if you haven't seen the demo, you definitely need to see it. Basically, how does how does this shake out for the gamer it means really 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 detailed backgrounds like background geometry like you've never seen before they straight up said in the tech demo that the models that you were seeing in the background you know they come from 3d scanned assets but you know we use 3d scanned assets already in in games but uh these were the level of quality the version uh you know the level of quality that they would normally use for a film uh and actually an example of a film that did use these sorts of uh, assets from the same library was the lion king if you've ever seen the uh recent lion king movie the cg one and how pretty that looks that's basically the asset level that they're working with is the same as what's in there and it's just running live in a game engine it's crazy okay. uh the next next big piece next big feature is uh, another thing called lumen so Lumen is a dynamic global illumination tool, which has been something I have been waiting for for so long is something 
that uses dynamic global illumination. It was something that we they uh, actually tried to do with Unreal Engine Four uh, before the PlayStation uh, PlayStation Four came out, and you know, an Xbox One. Uh, they had a different technique called a Sfoggy, a sparse voxel oak tree global illumination, Sfoggy. And they had it in the first version of Unreal, or they had it in the beta version of Unreal Engine 4, and they ended up cutting it because the consoles were just not powerful enough to handle it. And uh, actually, throughout the, the, interview that Jeff Keighley did after the fact uh Tim Sweeney the CEO of uh, Epic Games uh made very clear that this time around Sony and Epic were talking very in depth about what they want future video games to have and uh what kind of technology they're going to need to achieve that so thanks to those kinds of talks we're finally able to get the uh uh, dynamic global illumination now they'll show it to you you know if you if you've seen the demo you probably have an idea of what this sort of thing does but just to explain uh basically in the real world when light bounces around in a in an environment it doesn't just or when it enters an environment it doesn't just hit what it hits and then that's it the light then goes and bounces around and splashes color around the environment and lights it up you know, if you are in your room and you open a window, you know, it. there's not just a square of light on the floor and then everything around you is in pitch darkness. That's not how light works. Light bounces around. You can see all different parts of your room illuminated. That's basically what global illumination is. Now, usually we're able to do this in video games by faking it by baking it so uh what it basically does is it uses the same kind of technology that is used in films and pre-renders the lighting so that's why you know uh relating it to kingdom hearts let's talk about uh andy's room in uh in the toy story world the lighting in that room is very beautiful the lighting in that room is also very static and will not move and will never change because it's uh, it's all baked. So and, and and that's kind of the 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 situation that we're dealing with is the fact that you know in current generation games dynamic moving lighting it can exist like there's plenty of games that have uh dynamic day and night cycles but the games that have dynamic lighting versus the games that don't do dynamic lighting. There's a huge gap in terms of quality. And it's because of this. It's because dynamic global illumination is very, very difficult. Some games do it. Some games have like a very like simplified version, but finally with uh, unreal engine five standard, there's going to be lumen, which will be a nice scalable solution that uses, uh, dynamic that provides dynamic global illumination i'm going to take one slight step a little bit more technical so lumen is not ray tracing lumen does not use ray tracing lumen uses several namely three different techniques to 
achieve the global illumination that it has. Ray tracing can do global illumination just like Lumen does, but ray tracing is extremely expensive. So at least from what I'm hearing, it sounds like what Epic Games would like developers to do is to use Lumen for the global illumination, and if they can, use ray tracing for the reflections. That's what I've been hearing, so that you can have, you know, perfect mirror-like reflections, you know, you won't have to have smashed windows or smashed mirrors in bathrooms and games anymore. You could do that with ray tracing, but in terms of the global illumination, that's why they decided to uh, create Lumen. Even though there's plenty of games now on PC that are using it for global illumination, and it probably is better than Lumen, but, you know, Lumen uses uh, much simpler techniques uh, to achieve it. So, uh, just real quick, three different techniques. We got... Uh, the same technique that I mentioned before, which is like uh, Svoggy, they use the little voxels. They use that in the very far distance. So uh, objects in really far away, they use voxel global illumination. In mid-distance, they use something called distance field uh, approximations of their geometry. They actually invented that technology for Fortnite because Fortnite by default has a dynamic world where you, you know, you're able to knock walls down and stuff like that. They made that for Fortnite. They did not implement full global illumination. Well, they tried to implement full global illumination to that, but they couldn't get it working properly. They finally did. So that's the second level. And then in the near term, in terms of things that are very close to you, they use a screen space technique, screen space global illumination. And all these three fast techniques put together is how they're achieving this global illumination. I know maybe it's way too technical for some of you, but for those of you that are interested in game development, I thought it'd be interesting to hear that, uh, you know, the the more technical explanation. Now, what does this mean that to us? Why, that is why I let you talk. <laughs> it's okay. So, what does this mean for for Kingdom Hearts? So, at, at the end of the day, and this is not just for Kingdom Hearts. This is for everybody. Every developer that uses this. Uh, the the phrase that I've I'm trying to push out to explain it is less faking and less baking. Which basically means that usually for this game, when we make games, you gotta have you have to fake a lot of stuff. There's a lot of cheating involved. Uh, you know, in terms of nanite, this is designed to uh, eliminate a lot of the faking that we've had to do for background 3D geometry. So they talked a little bit in the presentation about a concept called normal maps and how with Nanite, you won't need to bake normal maps. You can use raw scan data. You can use sculptures out of ZBrush. You can use, you know, really high dense, very high detailed meshes as opposed to having to make lower quality versions for video games. So less faking there. Lumen is the same thing. You don't have to fake beautiful lighting anymore. It can bite. It can be dynamic. It can change. You know, a monster. You can be inside a room and it can be beautiful lighting, and then a monster can come up, rip the the ceiling 
rip their whole roof off the building, and the light will update and look just as beautiful after the monster ripped the ceiling off. You know, there's plenty of games this generation where, like, man, the nighttime version of this level looks great. Why does the daytime level look so awful? <coughs> Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> why does Midcar look so bad during the day? This is what uh, I'm talking about. That. Yeah, so if you notice, basically every problem that was a problem in Seven Remake, bad low-quality geometry, bad lighting during the daytime parts, uh, very low-quality shadows in certain parts, these two features literally solve both of those things. So, I, I don't know, get hyped for uh, Remake Part 2. Now, I guess the big question that some of you might have on the tip of your tongues is, yeah, Brandon, this all sounds great and all, but didn't Kingdom Hearts 3 already get fully developed on Unreal Engine 4? Wouldn't it be a big waste of time since they put in all that legwork to get their stuff up and running on Unreal Engine 4? Wouldn't it be a pain to have to switch engines again? Do you want them to delay even further? COVID-19, Brandon. And then I have good news for you. So Unreal Engine 5 is completely backwards compatible or completely forward compatible that is or Unreal Engine 4 is forward compatible with Unreal Engine 5. Unreal Engine 5 by the way not not out yet. Uh it'll be out next year. But uh basically yeah during the interview uh Tim Sweeney was like, "Hey, you know, it's not out yet, but if you have a project that you, you want to get started, absolutely get started now in Unreal Engine 4 and when Unreal Engine 5 comes out you'll be able to uh, transfer your project over uh, simply. Now I will say personally I kind of feel like them calling this Unreal Engine 5 is a little bit uh, kind of just fluff. It's just a name. Unreal Engine 5 is just a name. Unreal Engine 4, Unreal Engine 5, it's all just Unreal Engine. The Unreal Engine 4 that is out right now is so different from the Unreal Engine 4 that was out in 2014. It's constantly been updated. Like, we're at up Unreal Engine 4.25. That's not to say... Uh, actually, let me, let me rephrase. It's not 4.25. It is 4.25. You know, there's been 25 releases... Uh, 25 updates so far of Unreal Engine 4 that have added huge features to the to the engine. They just added uh, support for PS5 and Xbox Series X, and basically all these features that they're they're talking about, Nanite, Lumen, we've had features that are on that level added to Unreal Engine 4 since it came out back in 2014. So I just see these as two new features that get added to Unreal Engine 4. And the fact that they're calling it Unreal Engine 5 as opposed to just Unreal Engine, you know, that's that's that to me is the biggest surprise here. So I would say don't even worry about it. Unreal Engine 4, Unreal Engine 5, it's all the same engine. These new features are just features being added to the engine. You know, don't think of it as like a big departure. It's it's basically the same software. It's just got new features. More less, you know, the real update here is less about the features that they add 
and it's more about what the features mean for development. And what they mean for development is it is developers spending less time making low-quality versions uh, or low-quality approximations of things that could be more beautiful. Because, uh, at least for me, so I, 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 I've been working really hard on my portfolio. I'm working to be a character artist in, you know, AAA games. And, you know, in my workflow, the way I work is I start with a sculpture in ZBrush and it is so insanely high polygon. The current character that I'm working on is over 50 million polygons right now. And that's one character. You know, they were talking about this this environment. Oh, these rocks are 1 million polygons. My one character is 50 million so far. And I, I, there's a, many parts that are just still very low res in terms of, you know, my finish. So it's going to go up before I'm done with it. You know, probably be like 100 million. Who knows? So the actual sculptures that we work on that the 3D artists make are way higher quality than what you actually get in the game. After you make the really high quality version, we have to spend a lot of time. And when I say a lot of time, I mean, there's a significant amount of time that needs to be spent to make those low quality versions and bake down all the really high quality detail into what they call normal maps. They're like basically flat pictures that fake the detail that you lose you know if you want to learn more google it but basically the big paradigm shift here is there's more opportunity to use the real raw versions that the artist originally made of you know the assets and that's the really big takeaway here basically things are going to get more beautiful and hopefully run very fast so that's that's what does this mean for Kingdom Hearts fans like so, in, like too long did a read version. Yes, what does too, it mean? too long did a read version is Unreal Engine five super pretty. Also, it's very easy for any project that's already in Unreal Engine four to move to Unreal Engine five. So Kingdom Hearts can use it too. Don't worry. This is and not does, uh, this is not the same longer. jump. Because remember, Churro, back in uh, 2014, people were really fretting about the whole, oh my god, they're switching from Luminous all the way to Unreal Engine 4. It's not that. It's just... It's, it, those are two different completely engines. Exactly. Luminous was not a completed engine. Yeah. It's still unfinished. You know, exactly. Unreal is a completed engine. So, you know, that means, don't this worry, is just the next times version. aren't going to be long. This is all. This is more similar to like, oh... I upgraded uh, Microsoft Word from 2013 to 2016. And now I'm going to take my Word document and, that I made in 2013 and I will now open it in 2016. Oh, wait, it just works. <laughs> that's, basically, that's basically what we're dealing, here, dealing with here. Now, that's not to say that it's going to be that easy. There may be some things that... Uh, you know, it's it's definitely possible that there's some features that Square Enix still uses that are maybe old in Unreal Engine 4. I mean, I'm just hypothesizing here that, you know, there, there's going to be stuff that they're going to need to check. But at the very least, they're going to be moving on to a new project. So who cares? They're, they're starting over anyway. So 
the long and the short of it is this is a nice chance for Square Enix to move on. It's a nice chance for them to try a lot of new things, uh, big stuff. Uh, so let's get to more stuff that is directly ap- applicable to Kingdom Hearts and might be interesting to Kingdom Hearts fans. Uh, bigger worlds, worlds that you can move through very quickly. Uh, remember how we had a, a really big world, namely the Pirates world, but we had to move through it very slowly on the boat? Okay, so imagine that kind of a world that large, but you can like fly through it and move really fast. Speed treasure of a planet. speed of a jet engine. Yeah, let's do a treasure planet world. Why not? Or big big hero six, but it's all of San Francisco. Like God, that's gonna be amazing, right? So that's 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 a that's one big thing. Uh, let's talk more. Uh, lighting. Uh, we could have if they wanted to, they could do time of day. I, I've we've never seen it so much in Kingdom Hearts. They don't have to. They could use they, they could keep it how it is. Uh how about something that, that maybe is a little bit more practical but would be very pretty. Imagine Turo, you cast a fire spell and that fire spell then casts light into the surrounding environment and then that light then bounces off the walls and then hits other things and you know there's light everywhere and it's beautiful like that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with think basically stuff's gonna get a lot more beautiful and everybody can take advantage of it it's great so there's a lot of stuff here a lot of great stuff just check out the demo if you haven't already uh just google unreal engine 5 that video has gone crazy so many views uh, at the very least, it'll give you an idea of what to expect for next generation. So, uh, so do I think Kingdom Hearts Five should use, or, or do I think the next Kingdom Hearts should use Unreal Engine Five? Yes. Uh, and do I think they uh will? So, do I think they should? Yes. Do I think they will? Maybe. Who knows? I, I think they will, but. You know, there's there's always the possibility of, you know, it, it it all depends on how much they've customized Unreal Engine 4 already. If it's very custom, then it's a possibility that they might hold off and uh, take it more slowly. Uh, that's actually what happened with, um, I forget the studio. The guys that made uh, the Batman series, uh, the Arkham series, Rocksteady. That's what Rocksteady. happened with them with Unreal Engine 3. They had customized Unreal Engine 3 so much that it would be more of a pain to move to Unreal Engine 4 than it was to just stick with Unreal Engine 3. Uh, But Unreal Engine 3 and Unreal Engine 4 are very different engines. Unreal Engine 4 was a major change for the engine, so I don't think that's going to be a problem for Square. But if you ever wondered, uh, all of those uh, Batman Arkham games, even the one on... uh, current gen those are all unreal engine 3 just really (laughs) crazy uh uh customized also the other game that is uh unreal engine 3 is uh mortal Kombat. that's still unreal engine 3 i think i don't know about 11 but i know like uh injustice all those games that's still unreal 3 it's just really crazy customized uh by uh by the warner brothers teams it's crazy what they're able to do so Oh, another one that most people don't know. Did you know the original Bioshock 
is not Unreal Engine 3. The original Bioshock is a customized version of Unreal Engine 2.5. So weird. Wow. Yeah, that that it doesn't look like it. It looks just like, you know, the Gears of Wars and all those games that were coming out at that time. That's because they customized it so much to look that way. It's actually Unreal Engine 2 still. So, all right, that's enough talk about that. If you guys have any more questions, feel free to send it to the uh, questions email and maybe we can talk more about this if you need more clarification on anything. Speaking of questions, let's move to our first question in the question segment. This one comes from Bishop87, and they ask, Do you think Kingdom Hearts 1 could be made into a Final Fantasy 7 remake-style remake? And what would you add to the story? Of course. I mean, there's, you know, there's no, really, no answer to that. I mean... It's just all Nomura if he really wants to spend time on a project like that, you know? Yeah. I kind of feel like 7 is in a nice situation because it's kind of like a static story, but with Kingdom Hearts, like, it's an ongoing story. I I mean, I think it's possible, but... It'll be possible because, like, of course, you know, playing the the remasters and the remixes... You know, the battle system and everything hasn't stood with the test of time. Yeah, yeah. People are, you know, the one thing I've been seeing people want nowadays is, you know, a complete remaster of Kingdom Hearts 1. And it's like, oh, yeah, for sure. And I don't know. I mean, knowing tomorrow, he probably will want to put stuff into into a Kingdom Hearts, you know, 1 remake yeah. to kind of, like, balance the story better because you know how... You know, in zero point two, they added in you know that whole cutscene at the very end where it's like they're actually in the same realm of darkness as Riku when he yeah. fell in, and then yeah. you know you see him for a bit. And it's like maybe they can add in stuff like that into the original, yeah. kind of like and you know explain some things. You know, maybe because you know give give it's to me. I think it's more of a fill in the blanks type of thing where it's like yeah. they just trying to like balance the story better and make things make more sense. But yeah. I don't know if they'll want to do more of a alternate universe ish type story because the game's already heading in that direction. There's really no need to put that in, into as early as Kingdom Hearts one. Yeah, I don't think it's necessary. But yeah, kind of speaking towards part of this question. Like, you know, if if you mean FF7 remake style is in like chop it up into several releases, I don't think that's necessary. If no. you mean seven remake style is in like bring it up to the quality of like a modern game like Kingdom Hearts 3, then yeah, I think that's possible. <laughs> the problem with Final Fantasy 7 was that a game on that scale of like the original Final Fantasy 7 would be very difficult to produce at the current quality level and have all those different areas and all those characters. But a game on the level of Kingdom Hearts 1 at the modern level, Kingdom Hearts 3 is already way bigger than Kingdom Hearts 1 was. So Kingdom Hearts 1 is very doable in the current generation. So uh, that that's not as much of a concern for Kingdom Hearts. Now if i had to add something to the story like there is one aspect of the story actually maybe slightly two aspects of the story that i think could be an interesting opportunity and i'm less 
thinking about seven remake and actually more thinking about uh, a a remaster slash remake that's going to come out soon is uh, Xenoblade uh, Definitive Edition. They're adding in a new chapter at the uh, that happens after the end of the original game that uh, takes place in a part of the world that they actually cut out of the original game, but they made it. They made the whole area. They just never used it. And it's actually uh, on the data of the original Wii disc. It's actually the largest area there was. And unfortunately they just had to cut it. So uh, I was thinking like, well, what if there was somehow some kind of event that could happen that could uh, take advantage of the fact that they cut out the original Disney castle. Now, to be fair, we did have that adventure with Kingdom Hearts 2, so it's not that necessary. But I was thinking, well, what if we got to see the Kingdom Hearts 1 story from different perspectives? Like, what if we got to see Mickey's story? What if you got to see Riku's story and their perspective? Kind of like in Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, the reverse rebirth mode. Like, I think that'd be kind of cool. Like, get to see what their journey is like. At the very least, if not Mickey, I think Riku would be very interesting. It would be really interesting to see what he does, how his, you know, journey was through the original Kingdom Hearts, you know, what led him to make the decisions he was making, you know, I I don't want to make it like, I wouldn't want it to be like Terra where, you know, Terra in Birth by Sleep where it, it just ended up being that, oh, Terra just had a lot of bad misunderstandings. Like, if it's Riku in Kingdom Hearts 1, he should actually be kind of evil. Like, I think that's... He should be evil. Like, he's supposed to be evil. Terra, they just kept trying to make it like, no, he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh Uh-oh, Maleficent was controlling him, or... And he was just like, he was just like envious and jealous. Yeah. You know, like like a normal, like, young, you know, know, adult angst about not getting picked. You know, te- you know, student of the month or whatever. Like you know, I, I wouldn't, Riku- I wouldn't mind if Riku like struggled a little bit with being bad. Like if he thought about, man, is this really what I should be doing? Like is like like maybe have like an ep- like a short like episode with Riku, like because you know how Riku was Travers in the worlds himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then he was doing the Pinocchio stuff with Sora, you know, playing mind yep. games with them. Maybe they should have like an extra scene where it's like. He's contemplating, like, when he left Monstro to go to Hollow Bastion, or to Neverland, actually. Yeah. You know, he would, you know, he would, he would see, like, Kairi's, like, lifeless body and just kind of, like, contemplates, like, was, what I, what I did just now, you know, was this really the right way? Yeah. It would, it would be so cool if Riku saw Kairi's lifeless body for the first time and felt bad because he brought that on Destiny Islands. It was him that allowed it. So yeah, but instead we got the whole, you know, I will find a way to restore yeah. you no matter what. <laughs> now I do want, yeah. Now at the end of the day, the resolution to all those scenes that I want is not, Oh, is this, Oh no, I did something bad. That's not the resolution I want. I want him then after that to make a bad decision and a worse decision after that. I want him to encounter all these bad things that he's doing feel bad and then make a worse decision and try to double down on it and feel like there's no way out. And then maybe like 
I don't know, the whole resolution of it is the fact that, no, Sora's reaching out his hand, you know, in hope of helping him. And then hopefully somehow at some point towards the end, it finally reaches him. And he's like, oh, my God, look what all this all these things that I've done. And maybe he his last decision is to finally try to make things right, which, you know, that's how we understand his story now. But it would be nice to see it from his perspective. And hypothetically, if they're already making a Kingdom Hearts one remake anyway, if they did do that, you know, you know maybe it wouldn't be as difficult. I I also don't feel like it necessarily needs to be like, you know, as long as kingdom hearts one. I don't think it needs to be that, you know, a shorter episode I I feel would be sufficient. You know, if you think back, uh, reverse rebirth mode in chain of memories, it wasn't really as long as, as Sora's journey. Like, yeah, you went to the same amount of worlds, but in terms of the amount of content, like it, it what it didn't feel as long. So, I think something like that, like you know, shorter, shorter experience that takes place over the course of, you know, a few worlds and goes into Riku's story through Kingdom Hearts One. I feel like that kind of thing could be a, like a worthwhile addition to a remake if if they wanted to add something that doesn't like, you know, like you were saying, Churro, like push the kingdom hearts one story too far you know if it was just riku stuff then it's really just you know uh, going back and further explaining stuff we didn't get to see as opposed to adding yeah. stuff that wasn't already there i mean because like i said you know a lot of them without really spoiling much of remake it's you know it's more like let's take a story and then kind of like put it on its head and spin it. You know, like we don't yeah. need to do that with kingdom Hearts because the story itself is already like that. Yeah. It's already so it's like mainly, that. It doesn't need more. Yeah. So basically in the end, it just needs to be like touched up, fill in some plot holes and maybe expand a few things, you know, make it, make it more sense, make more sense. Kind of like, um, for example, uh, I saw I was streaming Persona Five Royal today, and yeah. basically they added a new scene within an old scene to kind of explain it better. Okay, and it's and I like that. Whenever I see that happen in you know throughout the you know Persona Five Royal, it's like it makes it storytelling a lot better because you're explaining something that was just probably brought that was just brought up you know a few times and then that was it. So yeah, for something like that to be you know remake. You know, I just want that. I just want more explanations on certain things that happened. And yeah, when it comes to that, that makes sense. All right, Charo, if you could take this uh, next one, that'd be great. Yes, this one's from Miguel Garcia, and they write, In Kingdom Hearts 2, the original version of the secret ending, Terra, Aqua, and Vin grabbed the Keyblades of Sora, Riku, and Mickey from the Keyblade graveyard. They looked really old at the time. Do you think Breath by Sleep was originally intended to be a story set in the far future? If so, what do you think led Sora, Riku, and Mickey to lay down their Keyblades? Also, some big weird monster thing disappeared behind Terra. They know Snap style. What is the point of this secret ending? So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this secret ending that's, like, if you consider it based on what we know about Kingdom Hearts and Birth by Sleep now, like, it doesn't add up. Like, a, a lot of these secret endings are are like that. There's, like, you go back to Another Side, Another Story, or you go back to deep dive and you look at the stuff that happens in there. There's a lot of stuff that's not consistent. You know, uh, 
when uh, Roxas pulls out his two keyblades, there's a fire in the shape of the heartless symbol on the ground that appears. That doesn't happen. Uh, when uh, quote unquote Roxas walks through the rock wall, there's a heartless symbol that appears before he walks through the rock wall, and he has a single glowing orange eye that appears through his hood. You know, it's very clear that none of what we saw in these in a lot of these secret endings are a hundred percent fully thought out. And yeah, I would say this keyblade, the fact that the keyblades disappear in the in the very next uh, secret ending, kind of confirms to you that yeah, this was just an idea. These secret endings are mostly just concept pieces. I don't think Namora fully has thought out what everything means it's mostly just let's come up with some really cool visual ideas you know come up with the visual ideas and cool story scenes you know purely visually purely surface level and we'll come up with the meaning for it later like that's how i see it happening and to be honest that's actually a perfectly valid way to come up with ideas i mean be extremely vague as possible because like you know the whole point of these secret ending is to leave the audience you know asking themselves you know what did i just watch and then they go on and they break it down slowly to see you know what they missed or what they spotted you know so basically it's basically that it's just a very vague concept idea of what is going to happen next yeah you know, there, there's a lot of things in there that are just really vague and, you know, purposely so. It's, he didn't know what the intention was. So uh, to answer your question, do do I think this was supposed to be a far future story originally? Yeah, I actually do think that. Like, you, you look at the designs of their armor. Like, uh, actually, uh, I, I was talking with uh, Pete back back on uh, kh2.co.uk, KH Ultimania back in the day when when this first came out. He's, and he set he just sent me a link and was like, watch this. I think they look like Power Rangers. <laughs> and like that that quote to me still sticks in my head. Like, yeah, they look like Power Rangers. Like these uh fighting heroes from the future, pretty much. Like they look like future soldiers. Like their outfits look more futuristic than anything Sora wears, so like, yeah, I do think this probably was originally supposed to be a future story. You know, they bring up things like Keyblade War and the Chasers. And there's so many words that just he just randomly throws out there that maybe they they're going to mean something. Maybe not. I don't know. These are cool English words that I, I, I picked out. Maybe I'll use these to come up with story ideas. Maybe I won't. Like, these are just things to be completely honest. You know, a lot of creatives work this way you know, which is the backwards way. You know, you start with these big things that feel like have they have a lot of meaning, but they actually don't. You start with the ending point before you get to the beginning point. You know, it's, like I said, I personally feel like maybe it's not the sexiest way to come up with a, a story idea, especially when it's visual to the public, because story changes can happen. But it is a perfectly valid way. You can, you can add meaning to anything after the fact and make it consistent. 
you know, how, how successful was Nomura in making it consistent? Well, you know, I, I think it eventually got better once they finally made Birth by Sleep. And I think for the most part, uh, it, it came out well in the end. No, uh, these ideas didn't really get so fleshed out in the original secret ending, but uh, I think it's fine. Like, Churro, does this sort of inconsistency, does it bother you? Not at all. I mean, the yeah. whole point of Kingdom Hearts is to be, is to be perplexed on what's going to happen. Like, you take yeah. it in, and you try to figure it out, you break it down. Like I said earlier, like, with, I mean, going back with Deep Dive. Yep. You know, we, we, we did not expect the Kingdom Hearts sequel to be made, you know? So it's like, well, all of a sudden, boom, Deep Dive, you know, first another side of the story, you know, you say a guy in a cloak asking where's Sora. It's like, basically, like, it's this guy hunting down Sora. Yeah. What's he want with Sora? Then you have all those quotes flying around, you know? Yeah. You know, and then, you know, boom, deep dive happens. And then, you know, you get this cool little heart, Neo Shadow fight. You know, yep. Brendan's favorite thing in the world that yep. he won't stop obsessing over. That's and, my favorite. Uh, and, uh, you know, you see, you know, Riku and, and rocks, you know, the, on, you know, the, uh, what did we call him back in the day? Oh, it was a dual wielding kid and, uh, blindfold unknown. Yes. There, yes. There we go. We called them that back in the day. And, um, you know, they, they switch, you know, they hand off, you know, he hands off a keyblade to Riku. Like, what does that mean? Then you see Kari on the TV Tron, you know. And if you remember, they're, the they're, they're like, if you like freeze frame a lot, they're actually like three keyblades at one point. Cause after he hands off that keyblade, somehow in the next shot, Roxas is holding Mickey's keyblade. <laughs> like, if you mm-hmm. freeze frame through it, I don't know if that was a mistake. Or if know, that but... had some meaning or whatever, but yeah, all this stuff—it's all just concept. It's all concept. Yeah, it's all concept. And I remember people breaking down like you know the do you know Roxas's shoes. Yes, they were like it's not the same size as Sora's shoes, and it's, yes. like, it's not Sora. So it's like that's what they are—the concept. They're just things for us to break down exactly. and try to figure out what's going to happen next. That's all it is. It's and then you know Nomura may or may not go back to you know with with whenever he uses like like quotes or yes. text flying across the screen. You know we may or may not you know have they may I mean they or may or may not have any meanings to them. You yeah, know, some of them he does and. You know, we had, you know, the, from the Birth by Sleep thing, you know, you had the Lost Masters, you had Chasers. Yeah, so you know, many. Now you, know, now you saw words. the Lost Masters appear in Kingdom Hearts 3. Yep. You know, intro with their, them playing chess. So it's like. Now, l- let know. me ask you, like, what do you think about the secret endings that we got in Kingdom Hearts 3 and Remind? Like, at least to me, I. I mean, hindsight will will end up being twenty twenty. We'll we'll find out in the future. But at least to me, it feels like I don't know. It feels like Nomura has this uh, at least a little bit more thought out than he usually has it. At least to some extent, because they have gone as far as I mean, they've always had uh, boss fights that related to secret endings. They've done that in the past, but uh, at least this time. Not only was there a boss fight, they actually made a brand new area, which they they did that in in two final mix. But like this is a pretty big area to be making. Not only that, they had voice acting. They've named characters that will be coming up. Like it seems like he's gone further down the rabbit hole than would usually happen. Like if you go back to 
you know, Kingdom Hearts Final Mix, all we had was we had the cloaked guy and they reused the the room we fought Maleficent in. They just removed all the uh the the spikes. And so, the voice scenes were just were just basically re- already recorded yes. and just thrown back in yes. to that scene. So, like this time around, like I'm not going to say not you know, knock on wood, I'm not saying that all this stuff will be exactly relevant in the future. I'm not saying that any one of these things could be changed because they could. It's very possible that they could change stuff. But at least in this case, like it's definitely it definitely seems like Sora canon met Yozora and canon fought Yozora and whatever happened happened. You know, even and actually if you think about it even with a uh, one final mix, uh they've gone on to consider that encounter to be canon because it appeared in uh Sora's flashback in uh in Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix even though it didn't really have a big change to it didn't really affect all that much in the series going forward I have a feeling like this inner encounter with Yozora might have more significance in the future and I think he might like I I I hesitate to say it but I think it might be canon <laughs> you know I mean a lot of people are already um, making theories that we may play as Yozora at some point. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, the one part of the trailer or of the secret endings that I think has the potential, has the most potential to get butchered in the future is going to be the original secret ending that we got in Kingdom Hearts 3 of them waking up in the in the rain. I think they have well and clearly brushed that under the rug by just saying oh that was Riku's dream and the other thing that I think could get butchered is Yozora in the car Noctis style I'm not saying it won't happen I'm just saying you know if we're talking like specific voice lines or specific circumstances the guy in the front seat whatever's out that window I don't know whatever happens there's a good chance that stuff like that could change that's oh yeah that's just my Obviously. guess so i mean things we'll have, have changed you know with all that stuff you know they not everything exactly you know, like like you said you know the whole breath my sleep with the yeah the, the thing in the background with tara you know that was originally because it's because but supposedly it's like their way of traversing the world that's why it disappeared like that yeah you know now now we you know in breath my sleep the actual game release is basically they use their keyblades as the transportation yeah. and device. if you look at the keyblade gliders, it's a similar design to that whatever that thing was in the background. So, uh, but I, I do think it is interesting, you know, talking about you know the more recent secret ending stuff. I definitely feel like if you look at the progression of secret ending content, you know, it definitely feels like little by little with each game the secret ending content is a lot more relevant to what actually happens in, in the future with, with the games. And it, it definitely seems like they commit to a lot more with each passing secret ending because, you know, in the, you know, in the original one, we didn't get any information apart from, you know, getting the unknown boss fight, but in kingdom hearts two, all the characters got names you know, Terra Aqua Ventus, we got that. You know, we got we, we heard the name Xehanort. We didn't know the context, but we got names. 
We had faces to the names, full character designs. Like back in uh, uh, Deep Dive, Deep Dive days, they didn't show any faces. They were very vague. We just saw the general design of the 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 black cloaks uh, and the fact that they used uh, that Roxas used the two keyblades. That's about it. But with uh, with Yozora, we got a lot more. And not only do we have a name, we also have his face. We have a voice actor. Like, that's crazy to me. He's got a voice actor already. And now, one th- oh, another thing that I just noticed that probably will change is his moveset. Because Namora specifically said that uh, he was actually surprised at the moveset and how it turned out. Because it's not exactly how he described it. So, that's that's another possible. Uh, I mean, of course. I mean, Terra's moves that changed from. Oh yeah, you know, because because from his lingering will and two final mix to yeah, you know, his actual fighting style, and then and it's weird because like you know, t- even in Kingdom Hearts three, the lingering will had for some reason had its own move set. Yep. Whereas Terra himself does not have the same move set. <laughs> so, uh, cutscene muscles. That's what it is. Yep. So uh yeah, I think that uh I think that pretty much wraps that one up. And then now let's move on to our last question. This one comes from Joseph Robertson. Uh question for you folks. As Square seems to release a new King of Hearts game every year now, uh sometimes just DLC or existing games to new platforms, do you think we'll get anything in 2020 outside of Dark Road? And uh what do you think the Kingdom Hearts game for 2021 will be? Honestly, I think with COVID nineteen going around, I think Dark Road may be the twenty twenty game. At this point, I'm probably, like, are we even getting Dark Road? <laughs> like, right? But like, well, I mean, it's a mobile game, so yeah, I think I, I think, I think it'll plus, be fine. It's been in development but... longer too. Yeah, so I think that'll be fine with it. You know, being the the. I, I mean, I'll be fine with it, with Dark Road being the twenty twenty game. Yeah, and then. And then, like, I don't want them to rush, you know, development of Kingdom Hearts, you know, whatever the next Kingdom Hearts game is. Yeah. So, just take the time at at home to be, you know, you know, polish it up, and then just let twenty twenty one be whatever the next Kingdom Hearts game. I understand if they have to postpone it, you know, due to this. And so, um, honest to answer your question, though, I. It's hard to say because, especially with the announcement of Square Enix not having anything ready for, you know, for the Summer Games Fest, you know. So, like, if they, like, by the time they may have something, it'll probably be, like, maybe Tokyo Game Show, if that's the case. But like, Yeah. Oh, like by the way, said, Tokyo Brandon, Game Show got canceled. Yep. <laughs> Tokyo Game Show got canceled. It's going to be, like, an online digital thing only. Yeah. Oh, man. So... Um, like I said, it, it's, it, it's really hard to yeah. really guess because of the way the world is right now. So, um, but I'm just, my answer is going to be, I'll be okay with just 2020 being Dark Road's year. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. I agree. I think realistically speaking, I, I yeah, totally agree. I think 2020 is just going to be Dark Road. Uh, if we're lucky, we might get a preview of the future game. This year, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Uh, I think next. It, I think next year's a lot more possible. You know, assuming COVID nineteen does not make a resurgence at any point. But um, I think more likely is uh, I think 
probably like an HD collection of like 1.5, 2.5, maybe uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 on uh, on next gen, PS5, Xbox Series X, that sort of stuff. That seems then like again, a pretty good way to dip their toes in the water into the new consoles. Then again, they don't even have to wait for the Summer Games Fest. I mean, if yeah. I mean Sony did a state of play with the Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. Dedicated to that, I mean, again, we already know what happened last year with the trailer being leaked out early. That was set for the state of play yep. in December. So, I mean, they can totally, and, and like you said in the announcement, you know, you know, Square Enix won't be doing, you know, their own thing, but they could still be included where it, with someone else's, you know, co- you know, time with like with Sony with the yeah. state of play. They could have another state of play with just dedicated to Kingdom Hearts or, yep. you know, or to Square Enix themselves if they want to, you know. So it's still a possibility of them announcing something during, you know, the Summer Games Fest or even Tokyo Game Show. Yeah. But... As far as releasing in 2020, that's a different story. Yeah, I don't expect anything like that. I'll also so, say just real quick, it's kind of an aside, but I think it is uh, very much related. I'll say that, you know, in the early years of the next generation, which 2021 will definitely be, uh, maybe even 2022 to some extent, definitely just be aware that. Square Enix and a lot of companies, they're going to be releasing a lot of what I'll call like a quick cash grab style games to just, and the purpose of those, and I say cash grab, but I don't mean like cheap, cheapo games. I mean, games that are, or releases we'll say, which, you know, could be ports or remakes or remasters or whatever. Not all the bravest, not all, not all the bravest, but I mean more like type zero HD like that was. Because that's that's what that game was. It was a quick, easier release that they could get on console. And the purpose of that game was to sell PlayStations, to get people to buy in and buy into the next generation. That's what they're mostly concerned with because they are not going to release any Kingdom Hearts game or any Final Fantasy game on next gen unless people own those consoles. That's the main important thing. So... In the earlier parts of the generation, definitely expect a lot more of Square Enix to be putting out a lot of ports, a lot of remasters, that sort of stuff, just to build up their install base of guaranteed Final Fantasy slash Kingdom Hearts fans that own PlayStation 5s and Xbox Series Xs. That's like their most important thing that's why you know final fantasy 15 that didn't release until 2016 kingdom hearts 3 but i thought, I thought that type zero was just a 60 dollar demo <laughs> yeah pretty much that's, that's that, what everybody bought type zero hd exactly because they wanted to play final fantasy 15 basically they wanted to make sure a lot of final fantasy 15 fans owned ps4s that's the purpose of type zero hd otherwise they wouldn't have done it so i'll just say Keep your eyes out for those kinds of releases, you know, whether or not you actually want them and just be aware that that's that's most likely what you're going to see next year is a lot of companies releasing those kinds of games, at least in the third party. First party, you know, I know Sony, uh, I think it's Sony Santa Monica. They're the guys that make uh, Spider-Man or is that God of War? Yeah, I forget Uh, which which one. Oh, wait, no. Insomniac is Spider-Man. 
San- yeah, no, uh, uh, Santa Monica is God of War. They're God of War. Okay. God of War team, I don't know what they're up to. Spider-Man team, they're working on Spider-Man 2, and I think they're pretty far along. Uh, I heard it's possible that they could release in 2021, but who knows with COVID-19. Uh, Guerrilla Games, they're working on the next Horizon. I don't know how far along they are with that, but... You know, I, I would say those are probably going to be the first like big games that a lot of people are going to buy PlayStations for. So we'll just have to see. Hopefully, I don't know. There's a rumor that on June 4th, uh, there's going to be a big Sony blowout. Maybe it might be the announcement of PS5. So I'll just say uh, if you have anything to keep an eye out for, definitely keep an eye out for that Sony conference. At the very least, historically, Square Enix has been at every single one of those and has announced the future of Final Fantasy there usually and sometimes Kingdom Hearts. That's where we got Kingdom Hearts 3 first announced, but I would say personally, don't expect it. You know, if it's there, great. If not, whatever. All right, so I think that pretty much wraps up our uh, uh, question segment. Our music for this episode is a jazz cover of Don't Think Twice from Eric L. on YouTube. Definitely check him out. Uh, I think we've had him on the show before uh, in terms of his music. So yeah, definitely check out his channel. Uh, and our next episode of Kingdom Hearts Union is scheduled for the 2nd of June. Oh, right before the maybe Sony thing, if it happens. The rumored, the rumored Sony, Sony thing. thing, if it happens. So we'll see if there's any uh, leaks prior to that. As always, uh, if you guys like the show, please subscribe to Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union on the iTunes Store. Just search for Kingdom Hearts, and we're number one. And of course, catch every episode on uh, KingdomHeartsUnion.com, Spotify, or or. KRT Union's Twitter, which is at KH Union. And remember, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash FFKH Union. And if you have any questions, send them to KHUQuestions at gmail.com. All right, Charo. It is goodbye time. I apologize for that. I got a uh, message from my boss and I was reading it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. No worries. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, let's say let's say our goodbyes, Churro. All right, guys, uh, thank you so much. Um, hang in there, uh, but also at the same time, be safe if you're going out. You know, yeah, for sure. You, please wear a mask. You know, stay six feet, and you know, wash your hands and do all that stuff. You know, we can do this together, y'all. You know, we we play video games, so yeah, let's, let's stay inside and play video. Let's games. play video games. That's a great idea. Play play Xenoblade when it comes out. I I want to pick that up. Yes, everybody plays Xenoblade. I might I'm actually might actually stream that after I'm done with Royal. Uh definitely definitely recommend it. I'll just okay. Here's my two second pitch for Xenoblade. Xenoblade is like it's the Final Fantasy that people that loved Final Fantasy X but didn't like Final Fantasy XII would love. It's the Final Fantasy that. Uh, Final Fan fans of Final Fantasy twelve that hated Final Fantasy ten, even they would love it. So it's like, it's the best of both worlds: people that loved ten but hated twelve, or people that loved twelve but hated ten, or people that loved both ten and twelve, like me. Yeah, it's it's the best of everything, cause I don't know, it's got that MMO style gameplay that twelve has, but then it's got the story that you know, on the level the 10 has. 
which it's a good combo which is a lot of you know for a lot of people that's the big thing that they didn't like about 12 was the story wasn't so uh i, I wouldn't say it's that it's not important in 12 it's just it's not as personal like it's more like political whereas in xenoblade it's very personal and it gets very personal very quickly uh but it's yeah just really great story uh also uh you know, th- this is also a big relation to twelve. Uh, full British voice cast. <laughs> so, right. You know, if you, if you uh, like your BBC dramas, there's a, there's a lot of people that like appear on like BBC soap operas that, <laughs> that play characters in this. Voice cast excellent. Everybody's great. You're gonna be saying it's rhyme time in in, in no time. The, the you know the character banter in battle is hilarious. So I, I I guess I'm gonna like it because that's all it is in 14. The voice yeah. acting's all like like accents galore. Yep. It's it, it's a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, apparently the whole deal was that uh, back when it was on the Wii, uh, Nintendo of America didn't want to localize it for the longest time. So then uh, Nintendo of Europe took up the slack and then completely localized it did full voice cast of people from the BBC. They did such an excellent job with the localization. And then later Nintendo of America was like, Hey, can we have that? (laughs) And then released it in America sheepishly at GameStop exclusively. It was awful, but now finally Mm -hmm. it's getting the respect it deserves. Thank you, Smash Bros, for making Shulk more important. I mean, honestly, I've never played a Xenoblade game before, yeah. so I know I'm in for a ride. Yeah, uh, and uh, I guess the other's like slight uh, pitch is the fact that uh, so the, this Xeno thing it's it's the same uh, director and same like core staff that worked on Xeno Gears, that Square Soft game back in the day. And like, oh, really? yeah, basically the, the whole deal with the Xeno games, it was like he worked at Squaresoft, made Xeno Gears, then he left Square to work with, uh, I think Namco and they, at Namco, they made Xeno Saga, which was that game, that sci-fi game with Co- yes, Cosmos. I I that. Okay. So th- same, same studio. And then I-, I guess they had a falling out with. Uh, Namco at some point, and then start working with Nintendo. But it's the same. That's why it's been the same that's studio. Why we'll never get remasters of Xenogear uh, Saga. Yeah, th- <laughs> that'll never happen. No, unfortunately. God, that's the one. That's one of the one series I really want to replay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, same, same director, same creative staff. Uh, I would say tonally, it's more. Yeah, it's 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 more anime and more. Uh, lighthearted than probably Xeno Saga was, but uh, yeah. E- either way, highly recommend it. Go. Is it, is go it, it. It's a uh, quick question, yeah. though. Is it more Final Fantasy? Is it more like Tales? More Final Fantasy. More Final Fantasy, more Final definitely. Fantasy. Yeah, I, I would say it, it doesn't feel exactly like a Final Fantasy, but it definitely like if I had to put it on a spectrum, it's definitely closer to Final Fantasy than anything. Uh, like I said, if you liked Final Fantasy X but hated twelve, or if you liked twelve but hated ten, or if you liked both ten and twelve, you will like Xenoblade because it's it's everything good from ten and everything good from twelve all put together. Highly recommend it. Everybody should play it. It's 
seriously, it's one of my favorite games of all time, and I'm I'm very excited to play it again, personally. Perfect. Alright, guys. You guys have a good I, one. Stay safe. Have a good like, one, guys. Stay safe like Churro said. Wear your mask, wash your hands. Alright, and Bye, I, guys. And I'm Brandon saying goodbye. This has been a KingdomHeartsUnion.com production.